All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, let's actually turn to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1. Uh, we are taking a, a break for a couple of weeks. We're in Reformation season right now on the on the church calendar. And although if, if you know me, you know that, uh, or if you've heard me talk about the Reformation, you know I, I don't actually think that the Reformation started October 31st, 1517, but I don't gripe with church history. That's a fine day. Uh, we are going to celebrate the Reformation tonight. We're talking about... Uh, Reformation Day. Reformation Day has historically been the last Sunday of the month on the church calendar, celebrating one of the uh, one of the greatest revivals in in human history. God, by His Spirit, doing something amazing. It's like a, our own modern version of, of Josiah discovering the law, sort of situation. And so we 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 cherish what the Lord has done. We are you know standing on the shoulders ourselves of the giants of that day. So I thought it would be a good time to do a reminder uh, to make sure that we have some of our essentials down about the gospel, to not assume anything. I know you're going to, you, you hear this stuff uh, in, in every sermon that we do, in every Bible study, this stuff is assumed and taught, but reminders are good because we don't want to, we don't want to think that everybody knows everything. And so some of you have maybe not been here when we talked about certain things. And it's uh, reminders are good because we don't want to assume that no one can forget anything. We don't want to assume that, that our minds are stable and set where they need to go. So I thought for the next couple of weeks, it'd be a great time to remember one of the central questions of the Reformation, central truth, not really just for the Reformation, but for the church as a whole. We're going to look at the question of salvation by faith alone. Salvation by faith alone. This is one of the five tenets of the Reformation that if you need to know the others, you can go to Gracie Brigant. She can show you the others on her shirt today. Uh, that, that one of them is sola fide, that we are saved by faith alone. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Today we're going to talk about we're saved by faith alone. Next week we'll talk about how a faith that saves is never alone. So we're going to rest Today in the glory of our Lord's salvation and next week our Lord's going to tell us now get to work uh, and we're going to look at that as well. So let's pray today, pray that, uh, that God would just bless our time and that we'd rejoice in the faith that he has given us. Father, we come to you this morning and today is going to be a day where we really, uh, Father, humble ourselves. We know salvation is not by our hands, not by our work, that we are saved by faith alone in your son who has done everything that we refuse to do, everything that we could not do, who is uh, the true uh, son, the true Israel, the true seed uh, that crushes the head of the serpent uh, and the one in whom we can place our faith and trust, the one in whom we believe and find life. It is in Christ's name that we pray, in that name of Jesus, who is our Savior. Amen. All right, so uh, let's start walking through this idea. Here's the question that we're answering in this, that we're saved by faith alone. The question is, how are we saved? How are you and I saved? How are we wicked people that we are? How are we the wicked made just? How are we made righteous? How is it going to be possible for us to stand before a holy God. This is the question. Luther actually said this was the central question of the Reformation. He said the church rises or falls on how they answer this question. How are we made righteous? 
How are how is our wickedness forgiven? How is it covered over? How is it atoned for? How are we made just? John Calvin said that justification or righteousification uh, is the foundational question of the faith. Foundational. Well, here's the issue. The first thing is we all know that we need to be saved. We all know that. We all recognize that we need to be saved. This is actually, when you say this, you go, surely everyone is. The, actually, the Bible tells us that there is a human-wide recognition of the need for salvation. Now, people will tell you they don't, and I just tell them, yes, you do. And they say, you don't know me. And I said, I don't, but the Bible does. Uh, there is a human-wide right re- Now, they might be ignoring this truth. They might be denying it by their lives, but there is written in the human heart a recognition that things are not good, that we are deserving of death, that we have committed sins that deserve death, uh, and, and, and that there, there, there needs to be something to fix that. So we see this actually in Romans chapter 1. This is, this is actually written into our hearts by God. Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 32 says this, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. God, and again, God has already, if you remember Romans 1, God has already taught him about himself in creation itself. Uh, so God has already taught the world about himself, just in general, so everyone knows there's a God. That's why atheists, when they say, I'm an atheist, I go, no, you're not. Uh, and they say, yes, I am. I go, no, you're not. Uh, this, this idea, God's already taught about himself, but they don't see fit to acknowledge the God that they know to be true. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Now look at what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, there's the knowledge, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So written in the human heart is a knowledge of God, but also is the recognition that there are deeds that are wrong. Now, that doesn't stop them from doing the deeds. It doesn't even stop them from talking about how great the deeds are or telling you that you should think the deeds are great. But there is written in the human heart this recognition that things are wrong, that there are wrong, evil deeds, and that doing such deeds deserve death. They know that. Everything from murder to gossiping, that those deeds are wrong and so heinous there is a recognition that those deserve death. Now, what's interesting is I think a lot of people miss this. And, and, but, and so we pass, sometimes we kind of pass the buck about it. We know in our heart that, that even gossip deserves death. I mean, I mean, in this list, it says that be, being disobedient to parents deserves death. I mean, we'll read about that in the Old Testament and we'll go, they, you know, if a child was disobedient, you so, surely, surely, and we go, well, actually that, 
there is in our hearts a recognition. Yeah, that's what God's righteous decree, righteous decree says that the disobedience to parents deserves death. Gossip that'll maybe that'll slow our tongues a little bit before the next time we you know slide it. We're going to be like, well, it's not murder, and like it's on the same list uh, as things that that deserve death. So, so in other words, we all know that we deserve to die. We all know that we have done these things that are deserving of death. This is written in our hearts. These people who know God, refuse to acknowledge God, God gives them over and they do these things, these things that they know, God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They know that, but they still do them. And not only does that knowledge not stop us from sinning, it actually encourages us to even give approval to others who sin. That says they not only do them, even though, so even though we know we all, again, this is not a knowledge of salvation where we're crying out to God. This is just a knowledge that, hey, I'm going to need to be saved. Things aren't great for me. I deserve death. I deserve death. I, I know that. And, and, but that knowledge doesn't stop me from sinning. In fact, it encourages me to, and to tell others, hey, you sin too. Because death, death likes a party. So innately, in our human hearts, in every human heart, there is a recognition both of sin and of consequence. The most lost sinner knows that his murder deserves death. The most lost sinner knows that his gossip deserves death. The slanderer knows that slandering deserves death. It's there because God has taught it to them. They know God's righteous decree. He's taught it to them both externally in the scriptures and also internally in the heart. So the Bible says then that we have no excuse. So Romans chapter 3 verse 19 says that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. What, is, what, has, what God has written in our hearts will keep us at the end of our lives, any of us from being able to claim ignorance. No one in this world will be able to face God and say, I didn't know. He'll say, no, you did know. You knew about me and you knew my righteous decrees. No one will be able to say, hey, I was on an island in the middle of the Pacific and I grew there and I never knew that, that you wanted these things. God says, I write these things in your heart. You know, this is, this is again, this is a great apologetic as for why there is this, 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 uh, this sort of equal moral structure basically across the whole world where you don't have some cultures that are like, uh, 50% of the cultures say murdering is wrong. The other 50% are like up in the air. Uh, there's, where does this moral code come from? God has written it in our hearts so that we know these things are wrong we'll we'll be able to have no excuse we can't claim ignorance the bible says we know who we are we know what we've done and we know the consequence that deserves everybody everyone it's it's also a good thing to remember when you're going out and and witnessing and sharing the gospel you're not opening the minds of people who've never thought about you know, these are, these are not like these, these people who've never thought about sin or its consequences. And so they've just been sinning without knowing. No, I mean, you've got to, this is why, this is why evangelism is war, right? These, these are people who are willfully refusing to believe God, willfully choosing to sin, even though they know it deserves death. We are fools, fools without God's salvation. And the world is full, not just people who don't know, the world is full of fools who are choosing to sin 
even though they know it deserves death. We know who we are. We know what we've done. We know the consequences. So the psalmist can ask the same question we can all ask in Psalm 130, verse 3. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? We all know this. If God, if God were to point out all of our sins, we would be forced to admit, okay, that's who I really am. That's, who, that's, that's what I've done. I can't stand. There's no way I can stand before God if he shows me all the sin that I've done. We are sinners, corrupt through and through. And we know that. We recognize that. We know there's not any person on this earth who thinks, you know what, if I stand before God, I think everything's going to be fine. I mean, there are people who say that. They don't really believe that because they know. They know what they've done and they know what it deserves. All of us. We all know we need to be saved. So we would all come to the same realization as, as, as righteous Isaiah did. Even righteous Isaiah who, who seeing merely the, the end of God's robes, just that glimpse of the holiness of God caused him to cry out what in Isaiah 6, 5? Woe is me for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So we all know man is a fallen creature, innately and intimately aware of his fallenness, everyone aware of our fallenness, aware that if if we stand before the God that we know is true from Romans 1, that we know is law from Romans 1, we know we deserve death from Romans 1, and we know, like the psalmist says, if we stand before that God, he's going to know that we know that he knows that we know. That's, we all know that. And we can be sure of the judgment to come. So the question is, how, if the world recognizes that, if we all know that, how do we go from fallen, from ungodward, unrighteous, guilty people, how do we go from that to Godward and, and righteous and just and, and, and guiltless and blameless? How does that happen? How do we go from the one to the other? If we all know, ugh, when I die, because, and I know eternity's coming because Ecclesiastes says that God's also written eternity in the hearts of man. So I know there's a God. I know I've sinned against him. I know that I can't stand before him when I see him. And I know eternity's coming. I know that death is not the end, though I know that death is coming for everyone. All of these things, the Bible says God has taught everyone. So we all recognize that. What, what, that's a, this is the big question. How am I going to face God? How am I going to go from the wicked person who stand, can't stand before God? How am I going to be able to stand before him? That's the question. How are we saved? How are we saved? And since this is a truth that everyone knows that we're lost and needing of salvation, this is a question that the, the world has answered in various forms. It's not just Christians who have answered this question. There are two primary answers to this question. One, the first one is the one adopted by almost every false religion and perversion of Christianity throughout the history of time, which is that we earn our way back. We work our way back. So the world... Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, uh, Catholic, they all, they all want to get back. And so the answer that they say is, well, what we have to do is fix 
our mess. So in other words, we have to work our way out of what we've gotten ourselves into. We have to do, you know, if you think about it, uh, sometimes they'll talk about the life as like this eternal scale. So what you have to do is if you've done a lot of bad, because, you know, Romans 1, what do you have to do? You have to do a lot of what? You got to do a lot of good. Balance the scale out. And if we do enough good, you got to do enough good to at least make the scale even, right? Hopefully to outweigh the bad. During the Reformation, this was one of the false doctrines that was perverting the church. But this isn't this wasn't new. This wasn't novel. The idea was that each person, just a general idea of what Roman Catholicism was teaching during the Reformation and, and what we had to sort of pull ourselves out of. The idea was that every person is a cup. And there is, you've got to get to a certain level of grace or merit to enter heaven, right? And, and every bad thing you do gets you below that level. So what do you have to do? You have to do more things to get your merit up. If your merit is here, this level that it needs to go to get you into heaven, which we don't know what that is. No one knows what that is. No one knows how much your sin detracts. No one knows how much your good deeds prop you up. But here's the level you've got to get to. If you get to that level, then you get to go to heaven. And and how do you get to that level? Through good works is what they would say. They'd say you do enough good and you reach that level to either get to heaven or to get close enough so that your time in purgatory isn't as long as it as it would have been sort of to pay off the remainder so the question for them is how are you saved you're saved through your good works that's the idea you do enough good you have enough good applied to your life and i say you this is why you do enough good or you have enough good applied because this is one of the problems with the reformation even in, in in roman catholic theology you don't even have to be the one to do the good you can have some of mary's good you can have of some of saint anne's good you can, you can even go to Peter and ask for some of his good because he had more than enough good to get into heaven. So you've got to get to this level to get in uh, either by you doing good works or you borrowing from someone else's good works or someone paying for the good works of saints to be to you. I mean, it's all a fun little mess. Do that and you get to go to heaven. That's option one. Option one, and again, this is the one adopted by Almost every false religion, perversion of Christianity, Mormonism, uh, Roman Catholicism, Islam, Buddha. I mean, just about every major religion has this idea of you in some way are doing better yourself till you get to a point of you are good. You are now good. You may or may not know that. You may not know what the level is until you're either reincarnated as a cricket or you reach nirvana or, you know, whatever it is. But that's the idea. You do enough good, you get there. That's option one. That is the, the first option. The second one is the one that we're going to see is found in Scripture. Not that you do the, the good yourself, but that we are saved by faith alone. So that's option two. Option one, uh, we earn our way back. We do good deeds to get into heaven. Or option two, we're saved by faith alone. In other words, we're not saved by what we do, but by trusting, by placing faith in the perfect work of another, namely Jesus Christ. That it is entrusting in the work of Christ to be what we could not and would not be. That it's faith in him that, that is our salvation. So those are the two options. Uh, so the question then is, what does the Bible teach us? 
Well, the first option is going to be shot out of the water right away. The first thing the Bible teaches us is we are not saved by good works. We cannot be saved by good works any more than a soup with, uh, with let's say our lives, 6,000 flies in it, can be saved by putting a little bit more pepper. Uh, all right, well, this soup, is, this soup is full of flies. How do I make it better? I put more spices in. Uh, you'd go, I'm still not eating that soup. And God goes, yeah, that's right, but that's what your life is. Full of sin. You don't just add, you don't just add some good and think that that's going to fix, fix the bad. So let's look at, let's look at what, it, what doesn't justify us. The first thing that we see is, is our salvation is not going to come through these good works. So Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 teach us this. Uh, we'll look at 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. So for by grace, you are saved through what? Faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of what? Works. So that no one may boast. There are verses in the Old Testament that Jews don't read. And I think there are verses in the New Testament that, that, that these, these other denominations and cults don't read. Uh, because it's pretty clear The good deeds that we do, our good works are not what save us. Our salvation will not be our doing so that there's no place for boasting. There's no place for boasting. So the idea that you and I can do enough good works, charitable work, uh, things are going to be okay between me and God because I'm nice to a lot of people or I, I work at a homeless shelter or I took in, I adopted some kids uh, or anything like that, that that's going to be. And there's a ton of those things cannot save us. Our salvation will never be a result of those works. No one's salvation will be a result of the good works that they do that earn them back into favor with God. Sometimes those good works that they do in order to mask the bad works that they are currently doing. For example, I think of uh, the, uh, uh, like the homosexual couples that want to adopt kids. They're like, look, I'm adopting, but you're committing sin on top of the adopting. Those things are not going to save you. But there's a recognition I've got to do something because of the life that I'm living. Well, maybe we don't get them through our good works in general, but maybe, maybe our salvation comes not by doing good, just good works, but maybe our salvation comes when we do Bible works, right? So it's not, oh, I know you can't just give to the Red Cross, but... If you give to the First Baptist Church of da-da-da-da-da-da, that's one that can't. Or, you know, if you go to church enough, maybe that's the sort of stuff. So I, I, I can't just do what I want, right? Because I'm trying to make things right between me and God. So, so let's do the good works that God tells me to do. If I just follow the Bible, I can do enough good to earn my way back by doing Bible stuff. I'll be at church every time the doors are open. I'll give, you know, way more than 10%, right? It's gonna, I'm going to knock God's socks off with just how good I am through his stuff, and then I'm going to get in. Well, that's good. You should read your Bibles, and you should do what your Bibles are telling you, but if you are reading your Bible, what you're going to see the Bible tells you is that even doing Bible stuff isn't going to fix your relationship with God. The Bible calls those works of the law, right? So not just good works in general, but works of the law. So we have the law of God. We see what God tells you. And I go, okay, I will start obeying that. And if I obey that, 
than, than maybe those good things. Because that's different from just a general charitable work or kindness to people. This is Bible good works. So if I do Bible good works, maybe that's what gets you in. No, not even through works of the law can you find salvation. In fact, the Bible tries to make sure you don't fall for this way of thinking because God knows, God knows the common temptation of man. He knows every one of us wants to try and earn our salvation. He knows there's a common temptation throughout the world to shuck what he has taught us and to try and get back to him our own way, to try and jump over the hedge rather than going through the door. He knows that. And so he has to come and tell us, look, there's only one way and it is through Christ. You can't jump over the hedge, even if it's a biblical hedge, and get there some other way. So the Bible tries to tell us, for example, Romans 3, 28. It's going to explicitly tell us that we are not justified, that we are not made righteous. And it's good to remember that those words are the same word in the Greek. If you see justified or you see righteous, those are the same words in the Greek. Uh, that we are not justified, we're not made righteous by doing the law of God, by doing Bible or God things. For we, uh, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Again, how are we justified? By faith, apart from what? Not even just apart from good works, like it did in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. This one's explicit. Apart from works of the law. Our justification, our righteousification is not tied to what we do, even when the what we do comes from God's word. We are justified apart from those works, apart from those works of law. In other words, those good works will not justify us. So you think, okay, I can't get in by doing just good deeds. Maybe I'll do good Bible deeds. I realize I've lived a bad life, so I'll start going to church more. I'll start doing more good church things. Maybe that will get me in. The Bible says, no, you can't do enough Bible stuff to get yourself in, to justify yourself, to do some type of work that's going to make you righteous on your own. One of the clearest passages is Galatians 2, where you're going to see God repeat over and over, not by works of the law, not by works of the law, not by works of the law, right? And you think of Galatians and what's going on and them thinking circumcision's what saves you and you got to do this and they've left the gospel so quickly and turned to, to this other way and... Look at what it says in Galatians 2.16. We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. If, if, if I were grading this paper, I would be like, you're being awfully repetitive here, Paul. Uh, but he's doing it for a purpose, right? The, the Lord is inspiring to write what? Not by works of the law. Because why? Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So again, not justified by the works. Not justified by works of the law. In fact, what? No one, no one will be justified by works of the law. Are you a one? If the answer to that is yes, if you're not, I'm no one. I mean, if you're a someone, then you are not going to be justified by the works of the law, by doing enough Bible stuff. You can't come to church enough. You can't give enough. You can't own enough Bibles in your home to end up being made righteous by those things. It does not happen that way. In fact, the Bible tells us that rather than saving us, those works of the law actually condemn us. 
So it actually has the reverse effect. So in other words, if you and I think that doing works of the law is going to save us, it's actually going to end up condemning us. Why? Look at what it says. Uh, Romans 4.15. For the law brings salvation. Right? What does that say? For the law brings wrath. So, so the law doesn't bring us, the law brings wrath. How? How is the law bringing us wrath? How does the Bible bring wrath? How does doing the law bring wrath? Look at Galatians 3. Paul explains it. Galatians 3.10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Cursed for for doing the works of law. Why? For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So God says, okay, you want to rely on works of the law. Here's what you have to do to be saved through works of the law. And if you and I rely on doing the law to save us, we're going to be in a lot of trouble we're going to end up being cursed. How? Because in order to actually keep the law, you've got to keep what? All of it. You've got to keep all of the law. And this is why James warns us in James 2.10, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. And the Bible is going to teach us that you failed those points even if you don't know those points. Even if you don't know a specific aspect of the law and you break it, even if you sin unintentionally, you still what? Sin. So even if you break the law and you didn't know that it was the law to be broken, you're guilty of all of the law. So if you think you're going to be saved through the law, the, the, requi- the requisite requirement is you got to keep all of it. That's why the Bible says it's a curse because what are we going to recognize? We don't and we haven't. Even if, even if the Lord would reset our lives now to this day, and say, all right, I'll keep every aspect of the law from here to the day I die, we would still probably fail. And we've got lives, years, decades, where were you ever disobedient to your parents? And, and some of you think, you can't ask my parents anymore, they're dead. Well, guess what? You know, I bet you, I bet you say, yeah, okay, I was. I was disobedient to my parents at some point. I mean, even then, that's, that's guilty enough to be deserving of death. You ever gossip about anybody? You ever slander anybody by saying something that wasn't true? I mean, this, if you had siblings, you broke several of these things. Uh, gossip and slander, and, you know, throw, throw, throwing them under the bus isn't listed there, but I'm sure it's intended. Um, so you and I, the Bible actually tells us that we cannot be saved through the keeping of, of the law because if we think I'm going to do enough good Bible stuff to be saved, God says, look, you've got to do every Bible thing ever written for all of your life. That, that's going to end up just being a curse to you because you can't. If you, if you fail to do one of those, you fail to do all of them. And the Bible actually tells us that we know this. We already know this. So the, the people who are like, I'm going to be saved by doing Bible things, they already know they can't. They already know that. They're not deceived into thinking I'll do enough. They, they already know. They already know that this isn't going This isn't going to be enough. So Galatians chapter 3 verse 11 tells us it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law for the righteous shall live by faith. We know, we know that we can't do enough good to get in, in terms of keeping the law. We know that. And the Bible has explicitly told us that the righteous live by what? By faith. 
which leads to uh, the next part, which salvation never came through works of the law for anybody. Romans 4, 13 and 14 tell us this. So can we be saved by works of law? No one ever has been saved by works of law. No one. Go all the way back to Abraham. It says, for the promise to Abraham and to his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. God's promise to Abraham and to Abraham's children that they would inherit the earth says was not based on them doing the law, but the righteousness of faith. In fact, it says, if you think that we inherit eternal life through the works of the law, you actually make the promise of the gospel null and void. To think that salvation comes by us doing good actually ends up totally destroying the good news of the gospel. This is, this is why this idea is so antithetical to scripture because God says, no, you can't save yourself through good works. In fact, if you think that's where your salvation comes, you actually destroy the gospel. You destroy the good news that actually can bring you salvation. So can you and I be saved by our good deeds? No. Can we be saved by good deeds in general? No. Can we be saved by good Bible deeds, coming to church a lot, giving a lot, uh, volunteering a lot at church, whatever? No. You cannot be here enough to, to earn back your, your good, your, your, the, the bad that you've done. You can't take enough Lord's Supper to earn it back. You, you cannot, through the keeping of the law, through the good that we do, we cannot get ourselves back to God, back to righteousness. It cannot happen. And the Bible tells us that, tells us that a lot because it knows that's a common temptation for us. It's a common temptation for everyone in the world uh, to think that we earn our way back. So we're justified not by our own works. How are we then justified? How are we made righteous? We are saved by faith alone. Faith alone. This is what, again, became known in the Reformation as sola fide, that we are justified, we are made righteous only by faith. In fact, the Bible, the Bible tells us that our salvation, our justification, our righteousification begins with faith and ends with faith. Romans 1.17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So our salvation story is one that begins with faith and ends with faith. Faith is the beginning of our right relationship with God and faith will be the end of our right relationship with God. It's not even going to be like you begin by faith and then you keep it by good works. It all is going to be a story of faith leading to faith. And it's always, this has always been the case. It's always been about faith. So again, we look at Abraham. We go back to that Romans 4 passage. We go a little bit earlier in Romans 4 to verses 1 through 3. Abraham this is about faith. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Romans 4, 1 through 3. For if Abraham was justified by works, he's something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as 
righteousness. Abraham was not justified by works. He was justified by faith. It was his belief that made him righteous, not his works. It was his trust in God to make him righteous, not in himself. Abraham didn't earn his salvation. He believed in a salvation he could not earn. In fact, the law itself has pointed us to faith. So we go, well, what about the law? Well, the law is actually pointing us to faith. Romans 3, 21 and 22. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So we talked about that. Saved apart from the law. But what does it say? Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Of course we can't trust the law for salvation. The law, if you're reading it, is saying you need faith. This is why anyone who says, well, I'll be saved through the works of the law. We're just not reading the law. This is why Jesus was able to say to Nicodemus, are you a teacher of the law? And you don't know that salvation comes by believing in me? That you don't know we need to be born again from above? You're teaching the law and you don't know what the law itself teaches us? The law itself was pointing us to faith. The law was bearing witness, it says, to the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. So so has anyone ever been saved through the keeping of the law? Yes, in that the keeping of the law told them, have faith in Christ. Faith is what is going to save you, not in doing these things. The law is actually pointing you to faith, not to the doing of its works to bring you salvation. So the law is even pointing us to Christ. Well, what does it mean to have faith in Jesus alone. It is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. What does that mean? If we're saved through faith, faith in Christ, what does that look like? It means that we are trusting in him. Instead of trusting in our works, we're trusting in his work. Instead of trusting in who we are, we're trusting who he is. It's all faith in the work of Jesus alone. So if you look again at that Romans 3, 21 and 22 passage, look at what it says. So the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. We are made righteous through faith in Jesus Christ, through believing in him. Romans 4 describes it this way. And to the one who, who does not work, this is Romans 4, 5, to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. It is when, faith is when you and I recognize that we cannot save ourselves. When we throw off our works, it says, to the one who doesn't work. It's like, well, what sort of, you know, lazy sort of thing is this calling us here? You know, you just throw off the works. You don't do anything. No, it's recognizing I can't earn my way back. So I quit the prideful thing of thinking, look at how good my deeds are. As if God's going down and saying, yeah, it's, that's right up there with my level of holiness. You'll be in in no time. If instead we go, ah, every good deed of mine is but a filthy rag. How, you know, how am I going to earn my way back by a collection of filthy rags? It's not going to happen. So when we instead don't work, but but believe in him 
who justifies the ungodly. When we instead believe in God to justify us, believe in God to make us righteous, that faith, that faith, not in ourselves, but in God making us righteous through the work of Jesus Christ, that's what actually makes us righteous. That faith God uses and makes us righteous through the works that Christ did, not the works that we do. Well, what has Jesus done? Well, Romans 3 tells us, Romans 3, 26. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So what is Jesus done? Jesus is, the work of Jesus has answered God's need to be just, right? He, he is a just judge. He cannot let sin go unpunished, right? So, so salvation isn't just God going, all right, I'm gonna let a lot of you in. Uh, that's not what salvation is. Salvation is the justice of God. So God has to be just and yet somehow be justifier. Because if God's gonna be just, and we all know from Romans 1 that if he's just, we're all in trouble, then how is God gonna be just, we're all in trouble, and yet us be justified? How's that going to happen? It happens through the work of Christ. How so? Well, God tells us in Galatians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Galatians chapter 2, sorry, Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. It says this, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, you who know Romans 1, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Now, how is he going to do that? How is he going to forgive us and yet still be just? So here we are justified, but how did we get there? Our deeds are forgiven. All of our trespasses, all of the gossip and murder and slander and disobedience to parents and inventions of the evils not even listed in this list, which I love. It seems like, a, like one of those infomercials where they're like, if you're allergic to this or if you have ever done anything like this. Uh, it's like, you've done all this bad stuff. You've even invented evil. How do we go from that to this? It says, he forgave us our trespasses by canceling. Verse 14 by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. God, you have to, you're just, you're a just God. How? These, this, he set aside, this record of debt, he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So all of that Romans 1 debt that you owed, all that Romans 1 debt that you know you owe, and you were so deep in that debt that not only did you go deeper into that debt, you actually encouraged other people to join the debt with you, like some sort of weird reverse pyramid scheme, like let's all see how ungodly we can get. Um, And so instead of that, what has God done? He has taken that Romans 1 debt that you owed, that death that you know you deserve, and what has he done? He has canceled that record of debt. How? Through the cross of Jesus Christ. He nailed it to the cross. Christ bore the sin. He canceled our debt. He justified us. How? By dying in our place. The death we deserved, that we know we deserve, that everyone out there knows that they deserve. That death, he bore himself on the cross. And in that death, he took our debt. He did. And he nailed it to the cross canceling that debt that stood against us by paying 
the penalty that we owed. So our faith is then in not in what we do, not I'm going to cancel my debt, not I'm going to work my way up and earn my forgiveness. Our faith is in looking at what Christ did on the cross and saying, that's my only hope. That's my only hope because I can't be him and I can't do what he did. I am a sinner. I've been so from the beginning. I have a debt that stands against me and I am adding to that debt. My only hope is Christ. It is faith in what he has done so that Jesus then becomes our righteousness. What is our righteousness? Our righteousness is not our good deeds, not the things that we've done. It's not how I've spent, you know what, I've had a really good marriage and we, you know, I take my kids to church or I, that's not when you face God, that's not what you're going to declare. That's not how you're going to know as you slip into eternity. That's not going to be what gives you comfort. Oh, I know I'm going to be okay with God because look at all this, this and that. Our only comfort is going to be, our righteousness is going to be Jesus. That's what the Bible tells us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us what? Wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. We are saved by faith alone, faith in that Jesus alone can make us righteous. That Jesus is our, sola fide is that Jesus is our righteousness. But it's, it's really not even just that Jesus is our righteousness. It's not just that Jesus is our justification. Sola fide is that Jesus is our everything. It is what Roman, it is what 1 Corinthians 1 is saying here. He is any wisdom that we have. He is our wisdom. He is our righteousness. He is my holification. He is my redemption. Everything we are as Christians from beginning to the end of our Christian life, every ounce of wisdom you have, Christ is your wisdom. Every cent of righteousness in your life is him every every aspect of your holification as you are made more and more holy is not about you it's about christ working that in you your redemption christ all of it from beginning to end is faith in him to be everything for you everything we are as christians we owe to Jesus Christ, that is the core of sola fide. Not only is it faith that saves us, the Bible also tells us that it is faith that keeps us saved. Remember we saw in Romans 1.17 that it is from faith for faith. Well, that faith that brings us into fellowship with God, that faith that, that justifies us, that makes us righteous, is also the faith that guards our salvation. A lot of people, a lot of times we don't think about this. We don't recognize it. That, okay, I become a Christian by faith. But the Bible tells you that faith is also what guards your heart and keeps you as a Christian. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 5 says this. You who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So when we say we're saved by faith, Christian, we mean there's no point in your Christian life that your salvation is based on you. There's never a point. 
Our salvation is always about trusting in the work of Christ on our behalf. It is faith that saves us and it is faith that keeps us until we see our salvation face to face. Till till our faith is made what? Sight. It is faith that births you. It is faith that grows you. And it is faith that carries you into eternity. It is all of faith. That faith is even guarding your salvation. So one of the temptations, one of the common misconceptions for humanity, and when I say misconceptions, again, realize that I mean intentional misconceptions, is that we can save ourselves. One of the things we ignorantly and foolishly say we believe, even though we know it's not true, is that we can somehow save ourselves, that people go to heaven because they were good people. This is why every funeral people bring out, they were a good person. They were a good person. No one ever goes, but that doesn't really matter because you can't earn your way into heaven anyway. Uh, Why why does every funeral, is there never a horrible, like if you want to be a good person, just die because no bad people ever die. Uh, You go to enough funerals, you're going to know every person in that box was a good person. Why? Why 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 does humanity have that temptation? What are we trying to do? We're recognizing that we've got a problem. We've all got a problem. And so we'll say that people were good people. The idea, we all, the idea that we can go to heaven because we're good works, that we can, you do some bad, you just got to make up for doing good. And that people are even maybe saved by doing church things. Go to church enough, you go to heaven. Give enough, you go to heaven. Serve enough, you go to heaven. Those misconceptions are all untrue. That's, that, that's foolishness because we know it's not true. The Bible teaches us that salvation is not about what we do. It's never been about what we do. Even with Abraham, it wasn't about what he did. Even in the law, it's going, this isn't about what you do. It's about faith because you can't do all this. Believing that he has made us just through the just, the righteous life of Jesus Christ, who was the just one that we failed to be who is the righteous one that we failed to be, who has instead become righteousness for us. So let me ask you, how do you think you are saved? You're sitting here today. What makes you think that you're going to meet God face to face and everything's going to be okay? Your only answer better be, I have faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Let's take a moment to think about this truth that the church, the church lost for a while. So we don't want to be so, so arrogant as to think, well, I would never lose this truth. We would never struggle with this. We would never give in to the common temptation to earn our way in. Ask yourself, when you, when you think I'm okay or that, or that things are okay between you and God, what makes you so sure? What are you looking for to know? I know things are okay. Does your mind, does it, does it run to all the good things you've done in your life? Maybe even the good things you've done recently. You got to think about all the good that you've done now and how much you've changed and you do all this and all that now. And that's why you know you're okay. Maybe even being here is one of those things. You, well, I've started going to church and. Or do you rest in Christ's work alone? And you're not here to earn good. You're here because of the good Christ is in. You're just here to worship the Christ who has done for you, which you could not do for yourself. 
Is your faith in yourself or in him? Now, I assume for most of us that we do know our faith is in Christ alone. That when we sing it, sing that great in Christ alone song, we're not just, we're not just piping or miming out the words. We're, we mean that. So what do we do? Like if you're sitting here going, yes, my faith is in Christ. I know it's not me. Do you just, is it just a time for you to go, well, I'm glad I'm not like some other people who might. So is this a time for you to be like, woo, I'm glad I'm not Catholic or I'm glad I'm not Buddhist or I'm glad I'm not whatever, Hindu or Muslim or what, what are you doing this time? It's easy. Rejoice in Christ. If you know your only hope is Jesus, what do you do in these moments? You don't go, oh, I've got, I've got faith alone down. What do you do? You praise Christ, who is all these things for you. And you thank God, the Father, your Father, to whom we've been praying. And you say, I'm so thankful that Christ has done for me what I could not and would not do for myself. Let today be a good reminder of what we sometimes get so comfortable with. That my salvation is not because of me. I'm not. If you're here today and you're worshiping the Lord and you really mean it with your heart, remember that changed heart is not because of what you did. Because of what your God did for you. Some of us don't, don't, don't let... And this can happen because we love Reformation Day and we love the Reformation our pastors do and we'll buy you all sorts of books and stuff like that. Don't, don't let sola fide, don't let faith alone turn into just a theological point. Don't, don't, let, don't let salvation by faith alone just become some sort of theology, you know, buzzword. Salvation by faith alone, it's your story. That's your story. That's your Hope, it's the foundation of your relationship with God. It is not just some point in your systematic theology. It is your very life. Christ has become your wisdom, your righteousness, your holification, your redemption. Christ is everything and your faith rests in him to be what you could not and would not be in yourself. Christ is your life. Do not forget that. All of our salvation is faith, not in ourselves, but in him. Christians, we are saved by faith alone. Father, we come to you today rejoicing in the gift that you have given us, the gift of faith that did not come by works. So there's no reason that any of us can boast. You sent your son to, to do and be what we could not and would not do and be in ourselves. To live the righteous life that we refuse to live, that we refuse to acknowledge you as God that we invented evil in our lives, even doing evil that we did not know was evil, but rejoicing in new evils that we could come up with, that we know that we deserve to die. We knew that. 
and you sent your son to come and live the lives that we did not live, would not live, to die for us when we deserve that death. So thank you, Father. Thank you for that great grace. Thank you for, for, for changing our hearts of stone to hearts of flesh, for causing us to believe, for causing us to cry out, God, save me, rather than saying, well, I'm better than this person and better than this person and better than this person. Because one thing we know is we will not stand before them. We would have stood before you. And Lord, if you had marked our iniquities, who among us could have stood? We would have realized how unclean we are and that our eyes had seen you the Lord of hosts, the King of all glory. And yet now we know, now we can hope that we'll see you one day because of what your son has done. Because we know that he has made us righteous. We know that he has canceled the debt that we owed. And we know it. We've seen him do it in the cross. And the resurrection has shown us this is true. This is the beloved Son, with whom you are well pleased, and because of whom you are well pleased in us. It is in Christ's name we pray, ever and always. Amen.